Welcome to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. We are twin brothers who are pastors in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. We talk about faith, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, culture, and anything else we think is interesting. Thanks for joining. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, We are continuing with this series on interviewing pre-nominees for the bishop election in the Sierra Pacific Synod. And today we have with us the Reverend Dr. Don Roginski. Welcome, Pastor Don. We're so glad that you uh, are joining us today. Um, well, we want to get started by just, will, will you uh, tell us where you're serving and um, what conference you're a part of? Sure. Um, so I... I'm serving now as the director for evangelical mission, and I know that's a fancy title. Um, And I'm in the San Francisco Peninsula Conference. And for people who don't know what that title means, um, it means that I'm basically um, oversee the new starts and our synodically authorized worshiping communities some of whom are long-term, and also developing some congregation vitality strategies uh, with with the witness discipling team. That's cool. Do you, uh, um, how long have you been serving in this role now, Don? I've been serving since last October, um, full-time since March of this year. Very cool. um, but previous to that, I was the chair of the witness discipling team for many years. So, so it kind of led into that yeah. for you. That's cool. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good, it was a good natural transition. It seemed like, right? <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I found out is um, a lot of times when you have an interim bishop and there's um, an opening on the staff then they tend to choose to choose somebody who kind of already knows the work so that you don't have to have a steep learning curve just for a year's time so that's uh, nice yeah that's really nice one of the things we want to we want to do kind of to begin with too is is just to get to know you a little bit better and so so we wanted we're asking everyone what is a favorite childhood memory, either inside or outside of the church? Um, I would have to say um, Christmas time. Um, when I was little, we lived in a mobile home, and I asked my mom at one point, how did we fit all of those people in the mobile home? And she's like, well, we just didn't worry about it. We just, whoever came, came. And my uncle Bob would dress up as Santa Claus and hand out presents. And uh, it was uh, a really good family bonding um, experience. And, And the kids would sit on the floor and eat our food and Nobody seemed to care about that. Mm, it's lovely. Mm-hmm. 
I also have gr really great childhood memories of Christmas time too. So that's, that's awesome. <laughs> did, did you all have like a lot of people over? Yeah, we would, we would have a lot of people over. And, and I think because of those early memories, I still really love Christmas. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, a, a lot of folks don't really, they, they only kind of see the, the public facing part right. of right. pastors lives. Right? right. And, and so you either get people who are like, oh, well, you only work on Sundays or, you know, that kind of, you know, but, right. but we all know <laughs> that's not true. Um, what, uh, what do you do in your off time? Do you have any like hobbies that you do? Um, yeah, what what do you do in your off time? Um, I have more than one. Um, one uh music has always been a big part of my life. So I'm almost always like either in a band or singing in a choir. Um or um recently I've been going to drum circles um with my um djembe and that's been a whole lot of fun um and you know they have the people in those groups have nothing to do with my church or um and so i get to get out of of that space for a little while and just be me and relax and have fun um and sometimes we even have drum circles on the beach which is even more fun so so you sing you play percussion or do you do any other instruments? Um, yeah, I'm a woodwind player. So um, clarinet and bass clarinet, um, Barry sax. Yeah. That's really cool. I don't have any of those talents. I don't have any of those, <laughs> those wood. I can play like the cajon and the djembe, but, but that that's like the end of, I can't sing. So uh, that's pretty cool that you do that. Do you think, um, you know, uh, it's important for bishops to have spiritual practices and or any pastor, anybody. It's, it's right. important for everyone to have spiritual practices. Right. Lay people too. Uh, Lay yeah. people too. Yes. Lay people too. Yeah. Uh, what are some spiritual practices, disciplines that you cling to yourself? I tend to um, gravitate towards uh, contemplative types of practices when, uh, for myself. Um, so I'm fortunate enough to live close to, uh, the Mercy Center in Burlingame, and they have, um, more than one opportunity. Um, one is I regularly go over and walk the, the labyrinth, um, especially if it's a nice day, um, which I find that sometimes moving my body helps me um, get out of my brain a little bit more. Because mm -hmm. uh, if I try to just sit and meditate, it can be harder at times. But I also value centering prayer. And I also go to um, a Taze worship service that they have at the Mercy Center. Um, the first Friday of every month. And that is just really beautiful. And um, the singing and 
I don't know if you've been in their chapel, but um, the the sound um, just comes alive in that space, mm -hmm. and and it just makes it really wonderful. Yeah. So. I really love walking labyrinths too. So that's uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's a great There's practice. Yeah. yeah. And I do have a spiritual director as well, and um, I've had him for a while, and I find that to be really helpful as well. What do you find helpful about it? Um, sometimes he can see, or, or I'm sorry, they can see um, things more clearly as they're looking at my spiritual life, and sometimes it's helpful. Um, for uh, maybe uh, a direction to take in my prayer life. Uh, like, oh, have you thought about trying this? And sometimes I think about it and decide, well, maybe not. And sometimes I try it and it's like, oh, this is wonderful. And then I talk to them about it the next time. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's, it, it's helpful for discernment too, to have somebody kind of seen from the outside um your spiritual life so yeah i i you know in in ministry there's there is um lots of ups and downs right mm -hmm. um and can you tell us about a time in which you had a a, a real success in ministry and and it may be a time that you kind of come back to in your mind when you meet a failure in your ministry um and so can you just tell us about like that success where was it and, and tell us the story around that sure um so one of the things that that kind of stand out for me is when i was serving in vallejo um, I had a two-point parish, and um, as as I got to know them and they got to know each other, they decided um, that they wanted to worship together, and we started um, with once a month, and then, um, you know, I had a lot of conversations with with people from both communities. And then as we're talking, um, they said, well, once a month isn't enough. So let's do, you know, we worship together a month at a time and we switched buildings. And um, through this whole process, I was having a lot of meetings where people would get to talk to each other, to get to know each other. Um, we also, did service projects together. Um, there was a school lunch program that we did together in the summertime. And so that was a lot less formal so that they could get to know each other kind of uh, on a casual basis, just sitting chatting with each other. And um, over time, they um, were ready to, uh, decide that they wanted to come together. And when they had the vote, um, 
technically it was a merger with, but we called it consolidation because that was an easier term for people. Um, there was only one no vote. Um, wow. So I think because we took the because we took the time to really get to know each other and didn't feel like we had to be in a rush. And, you know, I was asking them a lot of questions, which hopefully got them to, to think about um, all the implications of coming together. Um, they got there. Yeah. So. What I really like about that, uh, Pastor Don, is, is you had both worship services service opportunities and social opportunities for them yeah. to be together. And yeah. I think, I think that's a really important piece of that. Um, and, and you gave them time. It sounds like to, to really make that decision. Uh, that's yeah, I, I think we took a little over a year um, uh, or around somewhere around a year. Um, yeah. So I think it it was good, and I think um, different communities would take a different amount of time depending on who they are, right? Because you don't yeah. want to drag it out too long, um, but you don't want to rush. So, right, right. Yeah. So it's trying to really be in touch with what people were thinking um, all along the way. Right. There's a. Um... Thanks for sharing that. That's that's that sounds like a huge success to me. Uh, that's no not an easy task. Right. It's not an easy task. Um, so our 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 denomination, we have three expressions of the church, right? We have churchwide, we have our synod, and then we have the local congregation. And um, what do you think the primary functions of the synod office are? What do you think they should be? Hmm. I think that the primary function of the Synod office is to provide connection. One, I think there's more than one thing. One is to provide connection between congregations and whether that's um, by helping connect congregations um, or working with the deans to help the deans um, connect congregations. Um, it, because I think too, for too long, the Synod office seems like some kind of abstract thing. And I think that we need to be more grassroots that the Synod should, the Synod is actually all of us. And so we should be more connected on the, the, the ground level. Um, and that probably means that, you know, staff are out um, in congregations regularly, which they are currently. Um, but even in between times, like meeting with the deans, meeting with um, uh, other members of teams. And that's another thing that I think is really important is creating um, some teams around the staff so that the staff isn't burdened with doing all of the work because it's just not possible. Hmm. Um, and, and also it creates 
um, capacity for our whole synod to have more than just the staff doing some of the work. Hmm. Um, like, for example, I think about uh, the witness team. We have people from um, across the synod who care about uh, new starts and, and new ministries. And um, they are an important ear to the ground, right? Because they're in different parts of the synod. So I would like to see that happen because, you know, we have so many talented people in the synod and we should be encouraging them to, to use their gifts um, for their own benefit and, you know, for the benefit of, of all of us. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that you say that, like about the connection, because I think most of the pre-nominees said our synod needs more connection in, in one way, shape, or form, right? Um, and I think they said that during the the town hall that was also done. They talked about connection. Do you have any more ideas around how that connection can take place in our synod? Well, I would like to, you know, continue with um, some of the things that Bishop Claire was doing, you know, like when she and Simon were going and meeting with the individual conferences. Mm -hmm. And I would like to see that be a regular thing, um, not just a thing at the, the beginning of, of a term. Mm -hmm. um, and for the bishop, um, as much as possible when when their schedule allows to, to be in congregations. And, um, and to do more fun things together, right? Mm -hmm. We have to have fun, right? You know, I I like when Bishop Mark would do his like chili cook-offs, you know, um, it, it was something simple, but it was fun. So, you know, maybe we have barbecues together in different parts of the Senate and people are just invited to do a potluck. Um, and I, I think, um having more opportunity to just kind of casually talk with people i think really does in, increase connection yeah i think that's i think that's a really good idea just both the social aspect of it but also um the synod office being more in like conferences as well i remember I, when i was in um the pacific synod on internship we would have weekly conference meetings uh actually. And a lot of the times, um, Bishop, somebody from the Bishop staff would be around, you know, mm -hmm. at, the, at the conference meetings. And, and, and so, and that was just kind of the norm. Um, I'm not saying Bishop staff should be every week, but, you know, to show up regularly to such things seems like a good idea. Right. To, to provide and, connection. I, I like what you're saying too, with having the, the, the Synod office put on some of these events, because you know, me and doing something with, you know, Good Shepherd and St. Mark's, which is in Pleasant Hill or or St. Matthew, we can do stuff and we'll get some of our parishioners to come and do mm -hmm. things. But if the bishop were to put on an event and, and were to invite the congregation, I, I think we'd get much more people because the bishop's there. And so yeah. I, I really like what you're saying with that. Yeah. Um, so, so we... We kind of need we need a strategic plan for our 
our synod. Um, and, and we all recognize that like part of the strategic plan, you're not going to know what that is until, until you get in the office and you, mm -hmm. you know, figure some stuff out. Cause there is some on the job training that happens with that. Um, so not what would your strategic plan be, but how would you go about creating a strategic plan? Well, I would start by uh, meeting with a whole bunch of people, like key leaders um, in the Synod, clergy, and lay people, um, and just to to think about what um, what are your thoughts. Um, you know, meeting with the Synod Council, um, what direction do you see us going? And, you know, probably initially at least doing a, a retreat with Senate Council so that we can, you know, brainstorm together some thoughts and, you know, spend a, a good chunk of time and not, you know, just a two-hour Zoom meeting um, so that we could go into some depth. And um, so that's how I would, would start and take a really good look second at our our staffing patterns and kind of figure out now there's a there's a recent organization chart that just got put out um and i would want to take a hard look at that and and talk with simon and uh the city council about is this the um the best um staffing pattern because i don't want it to continue where one staff person um, has to do a lot of the work. Um, and I think it should be even across staff people. And then really take take a look at who are our Senate staff are, and are these the people who are most qualified to be in this position. Um, and you know, have some really good conversations with the the current staff, and what are their hopes and dreams, and um, you know, work together. Um, I like to work collaborative collaboratively, so um, I want to hear from other people because I know that I can't do this all by myself, mm -hmm. um, and nor would I want to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because it's just not sustainable. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Continue, but please. Also, when, oh, I'm sorry. No, continue. Go ahead. I was just, oh, okay. So one of the things that I've already started working on a little bit because of, um, you know, mergers and consolidations are oftentimes from you. Um, thinking about different models um, for collaborative ministries between congregations. Um, and I, I met with a congregation not too long ago who wrote down a model. And initially I looked at that and I'm like, oh, I don't know. But then when I spent some more time with it, I'm like, oh, well, this could work if we just tweak it right here, you know, or do this. And, you know, it's about um, shared leadership. Um, and and I want to, 
I would want to give people the the message that uh, it doesn't have to mean mergers. Hmm. It can if they determine that down the road, but it doesn't have to be in order to share a leader. Will and you define because, what a merger means? Because I think for people who, who are hearing that term, sure. they may not necessarily know what it means for two churches to merge together. Okay, so a merger means that two or more, it could be more than two, um, congregations come together and legally become one entity. So oftentimes that means that they um, pick a new name for their congregation to reflect the, the new reality. And um, sometimes it means that one congregation, the, the corporation of one congregation stands and then it's renamed. Um, sometimes it means that you close both down and start a brand new um, corporation. So that's all the legal stuff with this the state of California and um, the government, the federal government. Um, so creating a brand new um, corporation is much more difficult. So it's usually easier to to do a merger. I didn't know um, that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And um, cause, and there are a few things involved. You have to um, adopt a new co constitution. Then as, as the new community, you call your pastor. Um, that could be the current pastor. It could be a different pastor. Um, so it's in some ways kind of like, well, it's not really forming, well, it is forming a new church, um, because when you come together, you become a new thing. Yeah. Do you, it's funny that you're talking about this because like the very next question we had is, um, uh, you know, you, you said in your paperwork that you would want to develop models of shared leadership, uh, and other tools to help small congregations in their ministries. Uh, do you like, what are those models? Could they look like you? It, it sounds like you've been thinking about them already, but, but can you give us a, a couple of examples maybe? Sure. Um, it could be, um, one pastor serving two congregations. Um, that's the most common. Um, or it could be, you know, two or three congregations coming together and, and sharing more than one leader. Um, and the, the model that I mentioned earlier that someone gave me actually had three congregations coming together. And then you would have um, two pastors and an, and an intern. Hmm. And, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, or it could also be um, uh, a synodically authorized minister or a SAM, and they would rotate um, between the congregations, so so that each each congregation would have opportunity to to see the each leader preside and and preach. Um, which is the benefit of having a SAM, but then it also could create 
um, opportunities for interns. And then you just one Sunday a month, you wouldn't have um, communion um, or depending on how the bishop would feel, um, you know, authorizing that person to do communion. So um, that that's just one um, idea. And that's, I think, better if you're going to have more than two congregations come together. Um, because we have a lot of, of small congregations in our synod and and it seems like um synod staff are working more on uh helping some congregations through holy closure um but i also would like to help congregations find a way to remain somewhat sustainable so that they don't have to go through that process of holy closure. Mm -hmm. um, so if we can intervene before they get um, in really dire straits, um, I think that would be to everybody's benefit. Yeah, that takes that takes uh, uh, new paradigms. It takes congregations willing to see a uh, mm -hmm. Right. a different future than the past, right? That right. their that their ministry going forward is going to look differently than it did for the last 30 years. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just different. Right. Yeah. Right. And it takes a lot of communication, right? To help people understand um, what it means um, to, to go into this new reality. Right. Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, you, you talked a bit about staff and, and the work that they do. Um, do you, do you have in mind the, the kind of gifts that you want your staff people to have to, to kind of supplement your own gifts? Well, you know, I I think that um, depending on which staff person you're talking, so if you're working in mobility, I think you really need to have the gift of being able of working with groups of people, right? Because you're going to be working with call committees and um, other types of things like that. So if you're if you're not a person who can work with groups and learn how to manage um, the conversation in a group, then it doesn't work as well um, because you know they get frustrated um, and and then it doesn't move forward in a good way. Um, you know we have a, a number of talent <laughs> talented folks in our synod um, who have uh, a, a lot of gifts. Um, and and I think um, one of the things, uh, an important gift for somebody who's doing candidacy is the gift of helping people discern, mm -hmm. right? 
um, because that is really uh, huge in, in candidacy is helping those candidates discern, is this the right call for me? Um, and then, you know, as they're pursuing their first call, helping them see what 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 is a good fit? Um, what does that what does that mean? Um, and and helping them not be in a rush. And you know, I get it. You know, when you're looking for your first call, you just want to call, but you don't want to get in in one that's not a good fit because it's not going to be a good situation. <laughs> so both for the pastor and the congregation, right? right? right. Uh, right. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Do you um? So so what I'm hearing you saying is is because the bishop staff has different focuses, maybe uh, like mobility and and um, sorry, the, the word is escaping me. Um, oh, candidacy. Candidacy. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, you would want to find the people for those specific things with those specific gifts. And, and, and I, I'm hearing, I'm hearing that. So you're, you're kind of, um, uh, is there any other, uh, any other things that you, any other giftings or, or things that you would want to have in your synod staff? Yeah, I think, um, I think people need to, um, have, um, the gift of, being very aware of their own biases and being willing to work on those biases. Um, you know, as you know, we we have a history of of racism in our synod. And um I would want staff who who are working towards being anti-racist um and willing to to not just blame others or say, well, I'm not racist, um, to actually put in the time and the work that's needed. Um, and I would do the work with them. I think that's I think that's a really great answer because I I uh we are never fully anti-racist, right? right? We're always becoming, you right. know, we're always move, we're always trying to move forward in that in that respect. And, and so I really appreciate how you said that because at no time are our biases fully relieved and fully gone. It's, it's, it's always, we're always trying to develop. Right. right. And so I really, I really appreciated how you answered that Pastor Don. Thank you. And, and for people who have a hard time with that concept, I, I just want to, you know, add into that, sure. that, that it's, it's literally in our Lutheran theology, right. That we are at the same time, sinner and saint, Right. And we're just happening right. to name the sin of racism. Right. right. Uh, just like we would name any other sin. And and that sin, it stays with us. And so um, that's very that's very Lutheran theology right there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, you know, one of the the times bishops show up to congregations is when there's conflict. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, whether it be within church councils or between the pastor and a church council or congregation, you know, there's many iterations of conflict that arise within those. Right. Um, right. Uh, 
when as bishop um how would you describe your style of conflict resolution you know how do you go about handling conflict when you enter that those congregations Well, first, I would start by doing a lot more listening than talking. Um, and to to listen to all sides of an issue. Um, and I think it's important to to set some ground rules at the beginning of a conversation and say, look, I, I know that, that people are angry here. Um, and And because of that, People may become emotional, but can we agree that we're all going to be respectful of one another, that we're not going to engage in name calling um, in those kind of things? Because that kind of can set the tone for the, the conversation. Um, right. And yeah, and just to, um, to ask questions when needed. Um, but to spend more time listening and, you know, I've been trained as a, as a coach. So I think that, um, comes in handy because, you know, you learn how to pick out, um, things in the conversation to ask questions about so that it brings the conversation to a deeper level. I think that's, um, and what particular coaching have you been trained in? Um, it's the, through the ELCA, um, coach, uh, network. Um, mm. nice. Yeah. It's so nice. pastor or no, she's not a pastor. Jill Beverlin is the, the head of it, um, with the ELCA. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, as uh is there anything when when you know you when you set this up with us uh, is there anything that you you hoped we would ask you hmm. i you know i i guess i I um, had hoped that you would ask me about my hopes for the synod, um, be, because I yeah. I do have I do have some hopes and dreams for the synod. Um, I I would like to see, like I mentioned earlier, um, teens um, of people who would take on different aspects of of the work, and we had discipling teams. And they got up and running. But my opinion, and this is my opinion, is, is that once they got up and running, there wasn't as much communication with them. And so then they kind of fell to the wayside. So I would not only want to create the teams, but help um, bring them to capacity. So that means training um, and also really good communication um, be between the bishop and, and the teams, between the teams with each other and, and the teams with the rest of the synod so mm -hmm. that there's all these communication loops 
um, and we're all working together. And and the majority of the people in the Senate would know what's going on. Um, so yes, that is some work, but I think once you establish all that communication, then it becomes more natural to to do it, and it mm. and it's not you know as much work down the road because um, people. You know, some people like to not be supervised, right? But they don't want to be forgotten about. Mm. Um, so so that's um, a key thing. And also, I think that if we create, if we have teams of people, we can create more events, like I said, that we, where we can have fun with each other. We can build relationships across the synod so that um there there can be some trust um built again because i think that's one of the one of the uh pitfalls right now i guess i don't know if that's the correct word to use but there's a lot of distrust um people feel like information isn't being shared like they don't know what's going on and so I think that can be remedied that hmm. with increased communication, with um, being upfront and honest, um, telling people the truth um, is really important. And that's the only way you can rebuild trust um, by telling people the truth, by you know admitting when you've made a mistake and say, look, I made a mistake. And this is what I'm going to do to correct it and not repeat the same mistake. Um, so I, and maybe I'm an idealist, but I think that things can change. Will it happen overnight? No, but it can happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I appreciate you saying that, 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 you know, I think we do need to have a bishop who, and see forward and a hopeful forward, you know, and, 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 and I, so I really like what you're saying here. Um, I wonder too, is because you're, you're talking so much about communication amongst all these groups is we had a, we had a full-time mm -hmm. communications person and connections person, right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, with Catherine. And, and I just wonder if that's part of a, a thing that we need to kind of bring back is like a really just a full-time communications person, you know, cause that is a, it seems like that's a big part of the synod's job is to communicate and connect. Right. And, yeah. and so um, being intentional about that seems uh, necessary in my opinion. And so, right. yeah. uh, um, but, but, but what you're saying here is, I, I really like the idea of bringing the teams up to capacity, maybe imagining some new ones and and also communicating with them all is just, it seems so basic, but necessary, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, it's and, 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 and hard work. It's not easy to get people together a lot, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's right. true. Right. Well, we need a, a really robust, um, communication strategy, um, you know, not just relying on one person, but, you know, 
a whole strategy that would be then communicated <laughs> to, to the Senate, right? Um, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a, a, a good way of, of putting that is that we need a communication strategy and, right. and to live into that. I think that's a really, really good way. Is there anything else you want us to know about you as it relates to being bishop? Um, well, one of the things um, I, I think is important is, you know, I have a background in, in mental health. And so I have an understanding of uh, people's emotions and, and how to help them work through those emotions. Mm. I'm not afraid of, of conflict. Um, and, you know, I've learned how to uh, de-escalate, I guess is the word that we used, um, situations. Um, and sometimes it has to be done uh, quickly. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, because a quick story. So I worked in, in a, um, uh, it was a transitional home for mentally ill people um, when I was in Minnesota. And um, this guy got angry at me and picked up a chair and had it above his head like this. Like, and I'm like, like oh, you know, it's just like, I got to de-escalate this fast or he's going to crash that chair on my head. Uh, so I had to think of some very fast things to say to get him to calm down. And I was able to get him to put the chair down. He was still angry, but he put the chair down and then we had a, a better conversation. Um, and yeah, it was kind of scary, but. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I think that's so wise. Like you can be as angry as you want to, just not threatening, right? Like right. you can't, uh, you can feel your emotions, but put the chair down, right? Right. No. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think at this particular moment in the Synod, um, uh, the skills of being able to really deal with people on a deeper level is needed um, because, um, like I said, trust is not there and um, it needs to be rebuilt. Um, so um, having a really good understanding of people and how to work with people is, is really important, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Don. I appreciate that. Um, we have, uh, as we kind of end all, each of these uh, sessions, we've been asking kind of rapid fire questions. Uh, some of them are, uh, don't think too much about them. Right. Uh, uh, just kind of answer them as you go. Sure. Okay. Uh, all right. So Jared, go for it. Here we go. Pastor Don, uh, which food can you eat every day? Peanut butter. What's your favorite movie genre? Mm. Action. Salty, sweet, or savory? Mm. I kind of like salty and sweet together. 
<laughs> in addition to the Bible, because every pastor says that, um, which book would you like with you on a deserted island? Uh -huh. Um, I'm not having one like pop in my head really that quick. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Um, what fills your cup? Um, being around people. What depletes your cup? Mm. too much distrust mm. what's your favorite holy place um in the middle of of a sanctuary kind of by the altar just to kind of take it in what is one piece of good advice that you've been given Um, I think back, um, it, it's been given to me, but it's actually, um, from St. Francis and, and it says, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Mm. What does rest look like for you? uh watching a movie or tv and and without distractions and lastly what do you hope god will say when you enter the pearly gates welcome we've been waiting for you mm. Everybody, this has been the Reverend Dr. Don Riginski. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. All right. Thank you for having me. This has been the Serrano Brothers Podcast. Thanks for listening.